good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you are listening to this amazing presentation of uh, Black Culture or whatever the hell we're doing. My name is Anthony Guy, and that is Skyler. How, how do you only have a mononym? Who are you, Drake? I, uh, I don't know. It, I never feel comfortable saying my last name, so I just toss my first name out there. Those people aren't going to say my first and last name anyway. It doesn't roll off the tongue the same way Anthony Guy does. So. Okay, let's try this again. Welcome to the show. This is Guy and Skyler. See? 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 <laughs> you see how it works, right? It works. I tried. <laughs> one name, one breath, baby. That's how we're going to do it. But today, and also for those of you who have been listening, I apologize for the last episode. That was me getting derailed. We had no idea we were going, you know, two hours long. We're going five hours today, so lock in. Actually, not get just, just, just kidding, Skylar. We're not, we're not going five hours. SummerSlam starts in three hours, all right? I got to watch that. Yeah, we'll get, we'll get it done. Okay, so let's see. First episode, we talked about who we were. Second episode, we talked about the cops in that harrowing tape from my girlfriend, who... Hey. Also, did you all notice that we had a troll last episode? That was a fun comment. <laughs> yes, if you... Thank, thank you for throwing up the comments, Skylar. Look at this. We're not even regionally famous yet, and we have people who are trying to tell me what I can do with my girlfriend. I want you over. Oh, look. Oh, ooh, nice dress, babe. Yeah. Hey, hey, babe, do you have anything you'd like to say to people who say I should let you do, I should control how you do things? I mean, he can try. I'm not gonna let that happen. You hear that, people? I would like to control my girlfriend, but she she just won't let me. Yeah. I mean, I'm not exactly able to control him either, so clearly by how this place is decorated, we kind of just do our own thing. Get off my set. Go. <laughs> Edit well, all of that out. I refuse <laughs> to be... I refuse to be cucked on my own podcast. Well, I mean, you invited it, but... <laughs> I will say, yeah, in response, in response to that guy's uh, comment, um, no one has the right to tell anyone what they can or can't do, and I think it's disgusting to see that you're placing all the responsibility uh, on one person to say, uh, I'm not going to let you do this, or whatever. Even if you're concerned for their safety, it's still... They're a grown adult. They make their own decisions. They do their own things. And the best you can do as a partner, especially in a relationship, is just to support that person and be there for them in whatever decision that they make. Um, that's the makings of a healthy, understanding relationship. But at No Chill in Smallville, we're not here to talk about relationships and what men and women should do in their relationships, but... At least not this episode. At least not this episode. <laughs> Maybe down the line we'll get into that uh, thorny discussion. But uh, my opinion on the matter is you have two consenting adults who are both in a relationship. Neither of them has the right to tell the other one what they can and can't do with their lives. If they both want to go out to a protest. If one wants to go out to a protest, they have the right to voice their concern and voice a concern out of the out of a. Uh, a place of care for the other one's safety but if at the end of the day that that person makes a decision a choice to go then they should respect and honor that choice not try to force an issue and say no you can't go i'm not going to let you go who, who the hell do you think you are so keep in mind i drove her out there willingly she doesn't drive she asked me to take her i knew what the risks were i knew what the danger was and i said yeah sure why not I dropped her off, dropped off the supplies, and I went to get barbecue. Instead of judging me for not being able to police my girlfriend's actions, joke intended there, ask yourself, why the hell did the police get involved in the first place? But we're not going to hash that. We spent an hour and a half on it last episode, so Moving go on. rewatch that. <laughs> So, but what we're going to talk about today, the episode title is Three-Fifths, because sometimes 
I don't know about you, Skylar. I feel less less like a man. Yeah, there, uh, actually, there are those. Less like a man. That, that that sounds awful. It sounds like that I need to take that eugenics that Frank Thomas is uh, is hucking on television. Not less like a man. Less like an American. I would just say less like a, less of a human being. Like not whole. Sounds like somebody has been reading some depersonalization literature. I'm here for it. <laughs> but to get into why why we're talking about three fifths is. Sometimes people will make it very clear that we as black people or fill in the blank for any minority except for Asian, which is a completely different fucked up scenario. I don't deserve to be here. I am less than a human being. And of course, the three fifths, I I used this as a joke in a class once when someone was taking a pot shot of my ideas and I said you were feeling... You were making me feel like I was three-fifths of a person. Oh, that made things awkward very quickly. Three-fifths is taken from the Three-Fifths Compromise in the 1787 United States uh, Constitutional Convention, where if we have the House of Representatives that are supposed to be represented by voters, what happens when you have a cadre of black slaves in most of the southern states? Do they count for representational purposes? I mean, they are people, and it, the more, the higher population you have, the more say you allegedly have in the government. And if you are in a slave-heavy state, which if you have slaves, they will outnumber the normal citizenry, how do you count them? To what measure is a slave a person? That's a thought. That's a thought experiment that they did in the early, in the 1700s and 1800s. Not something we practice here. But the concept of black people being three-fifths of a person is something that is, is extended to this very day. And we use a comment, we use a popular term for it, microaggression, which was coined by Chester Pierce to describe what happens to what happens to black people when they are not seen as credible or wordy by white people. Now, microaggressions, it, it's a buzz term these days that I'm not entirely comfortable with not because i don't think the term is true but because i don't think these actions to quote a couple of my professors robert Rowland and jay childers these are not micro i am openly told that i am not good enough to be here and these actions how does it affect us going forward we weaponize the concept of not good enough or institutional short changes with affirmative action, which looks a lot different than what it used to be. There are a few Supreme Court judgments that have highlighted affirmative action in, I would say, recent years, but God, one of my one of my sources is rather old. Uh, the Regents of the University of California versus Backey, that was 70s or 80s, something like that, about one guy who could not get into... Uh, the University of California Medical School because he was deemed to be too old, yet there were there was a racial quota for people to get in. It's sorry about that. There was a racial quota for people to get admitted to the university, and unfortunately, he did not fit the he did not cut the mustard as a white man. Look at that. A white man feeling like he is getting the shaft in in the world at large. <laughs> Imagine that. Recent cases include Gratz v. Bollinger and Gruder v. Bollinger. Uh, held, held against a couple students at the University of Michigan back during uh, the Bush administration. About whether they were fit to get into their law school. Now, Grutter v. Bollinger was decided that affirmative action was to be upheld. However, Gratz v. Bollinger is more significant because it eliminated the number of the number of spaces that could be reserved for preferential admissions, which in this case did not extend to legacy admissions, but it extended to diversity applicants. Now, 
that's the legal background behind this. We don't have to parse that too well to see that affirmative action and what is the measure of a person. How do how do people get into rigged systems? We don't have to parse the legal terrain for that. We have normal everyday occurrences that some people question whether we are fit to be here. I just got out of a I just got out of an orientation because I work for the athletic department of a large Midwestern university that will not be named. The University of Kansas. Skyler, edit that out. They can fire me for this. No, seriously, they can fire me for this. Don't edit it out, though. I, they don't pay me enough for me to give a shit. The experiences that we have are not considered worthy of the academy or the work environment because some people say it's not. Me being a black man, I do not take, I do not take my position for granted. And more so people... But people elsewhere will take my position for granted for me. I've spoken about how some people have belittled my research because it it affects me personally and it's not seen as salient to the environment. But then you can do daddy-daughter research, infidelity, or let's see, who, who do I hate this week? Air on Mars and colonizing Mars because Earth has become in, uninhabitable for humankind. You think I'm joking. I sat in this class. Somebody wrote 20 pages of it, and I had to take that person seriously when I mentioned wrestling in. Oh, haha, that's a joke. The results of these actions and criticisms from people who do not take who do not treat other people as humans i believe you said earlier that we it's not so much as being seen less as a man or an american but as a person the results of this i have a pretty high ego so i'm not totally affected by this but it screw you skylar <laughs> but it does make me occasionally question my abilities when I'm following the same methods they did. I'm just applying it to a topic of my liking because uh, I've been pigeon. I've been, people have attempted to pigeonhole me into two categories. Well, not two categories, just one category, really. Are you going to study race? You're naturally an intercultural scholar. No, I'm naturally an intercultural person because I'm black. That much I'll agree with you with, but not. Everything has to be centered about my race. And the fact that you said that this is the only thing I'm worthy of studying, that is a problem. How many other people have been told they can't do this based, based on their race? I mean, we see gender-based discrimination all the time. Uh, women can't be scientists. Women can't do math. We all know that's horseshit. Women achieve higher in the academy than men do. But when you, when you're black, oh, you have a good idea. I'm very surprised by this. Ah, you were on time. That's God-given ability. You are gifted. Don't get me started into that, <laughs> into that language because I watch a ton of sports. By the way, go Celtics. We beat Philly. Sorry, Jennifer, I know you're from Philly, but I, I really don't care. Go Celtics. Think about how we describe athletes. They're gifted. They're blessed. They have natural talent versus, and as a, as a fan of the New England Patriots, who is possibly the whitest team in the history of pro football, even in the 2000s. I don't know how the hell you pull that shit off. But no, look at, look at that white, white receiver. He's scrappy. He's a lunch pail kid. He has a high motor. Or when you have someone faster than they should be, they are deceptively fast. How can someone be deceptively fast unless you don't expect them to have the skill set of other people? I mean, granted, you, I mean, you see a few more wide, wide receivers these days. You sure as hell don't see any white cornerbacks. We haven't had one of those since Jason Seahorn in the early aughts. It doesn't exist. 
But enough about sports, because Skylar's looking at me like I am a madman. <laughs> How do you feel about being in a workplace, being in society, and not being taken credibly based on first appearances? Oh, also, I'm eating fried chicken. It's great. I made it myself. Huh. Um, my experiences with, I guess... Uh, public perception based upon race uh, pretty interesting experiences I mean I've had most of my experiences have been interpersonal instead of in the professional or the educational realm um, I was definitely sought out to join certain organizations because of my ethnic background and because of my ethnic background I was considered underrepresented underrepresented which I mean it's true but still to be told is a different kind of uh, mind screw than than you would normally think about. You would, you know, you get this opportunity to get this scholarship or whatnot, and the reason why you're getting it is because they're saying, "Well, you're underrepresented. You're not really taken seriously, so we're going to give you this." And it almost feels like you're you receive something um, not necessarily based on the merit of your work or your work quality your intelligence but because of your ethnic and racial background and i'm not gonna lie that sometimes some of that really does uh not set well with me uh, when i go to think about it after the fact um additionally i think one of the things you brought up was kind of microaggressions or things that people will say and one of the things that it just it just brought brought it to mind as you were discussing it one of the things one of the premier compliments that i get is oh you're so articulate and i i always have to keep a smirk off my face whenever i hear that because i know that there's inherent whether it's subconscious or they're overtly doing it there is racial bias there because they're not expecting me to be able to speak well to be able to enunciate or, or pronounce my words correctly. They're they're expecting, I don't know, ebonics? I don't know. They're expecting a stereotype uh, to, to be presented to them. So when I speak as an educated person, because I am an educated person, um, that that response, oh, you're so articulate or you're, you're so well-spoken, um, I usually ground that in... In racial bias, I, I my mind goes to, it jumps to that almost immediately. I'm like, you're not saying that to every person that that you meet that can speak well. You're saying that to me because you're surprised that because I am a black person that I can speak this way. There's not an there's not an understanding that any person who's educated is going to be able to speak well. It's a oh you're black and you can speak well well you're so articulate you're you're, you're so well spoken you're so poised and you know those those kind of, those type of compliments i guess don't necessarily set well with me i don't i don't appreciate them i accept them and i say thank you but at the same time deep down i know that that was not a compliment that i think came from a place came from a genuine place in my opinion yeah, cuh, who are you front and foe? Why do you speak so white? Who are you trying to impress? And ah, that's, I would say that's sad to hear, Skylar, but we both heard it. The, tr the trope of being well-spoken and articulate is something that is so entrenched in this society that it's, it's freaking... How do we determine who's well-spoken and articulate? I mean, the baseline for this is naturally assuming that white people, white people in the, you know, Western education model is, it's the apex, it's the paradigm that we should all follow. And I will say as somebody who has been in, invested in it and entrenched in it for, I don't know, last 32 years of my life, I understand it is a convenience it's a convenient shorthand for how to interact in the world because if everyone in this country and across the world is speaking it and i'm saying everyone because white people have colonized the shit out of everything when china has more american speak uh, 
Sorry, not no. I'm gonna keep that. When China has more American speakers than America, you mean that's English? kind. Of, no, I mean American. Shall I shall I clarify a bit? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So when we talk about the Western world, we're really t- yes, the uh, British Empire. It was once said that the sun that the sun never sets on a British Empire, which means that the British did a lot of work colonizing everywhere they fucking could. Got Australia, Hong Kong, India, probably some uh, territories in Africa, and then remember, America was once part of the British Empire, but then. As Britain's influence dimmed, America's influence has shot straight the hell up. If American currency is considered the standard of the world when it comes to money, we are essentially speaking American. We are imposing American cultural values on everyone. It makes no sense to me that I can go to certain countries in the Middle East and get a Big Mac. Not because McDonald's is the premier food, it isn't. It's handy at 3 o'clock in the morning when I'm high. But elsewhere, there's it makes no sense that American culture, American food, you have your McDonald's, you have your Coca-Cola, and whatever... Microsoft, my God. Um, we have two predominant operating systems in the world. We have Windows and we have Mac. Both are American. And if you don't speak those languages, do you really exist? It's a microaggression when we talk to people where, think about when's the last time you filled out an application, do you know how to use Excel? Do you know how to use Word, PowerPoint, any other Microsoft Office suite, how to use a computer? The question is, who is allowed? Anyone can use these, yeah, anyone who can use these systems, has access to these systems, can use them. They're not hard, but you can't learn how to use them if, in my case, I went to uh, school in South Central Los Angeles. Our computers were Tandys. I don't. Have you ever? Heard, is. You've never heard of a Tandy. I've never heard of. <laughs> I've never heard of a Tandy. Shit! I didn't know about the internet that I could actually have access to the internet until I hit sixth grade. Wow. But then everybody who I was in my sixth grade class with at Dana Middle School. They've been typing papers for years. How? How can you... How can you have the system that is so foreign to people when it's allegedly widespread? We get mocked if we don't know how to use these computer programming... uh, Computers, programming languages, so on and so forth, where others do not have access to it. There's the concept of the global north and the global south, where the global north, America's firmly in the global north, where we have, or let's use a bit more racist terminology, developed countries and developing countries. Why are the countries? First world, second world, third world. Yes. First world, that's America and its allies. Second world, Russia and China and their allies third world people get fucked by the first and second worlds Africa especially Africa but that's on a mesoscale mm-hmm. on a micro scale the pandemic has taught me a few things that I would have rather have in complete honesty I would have rather ignored All of my teaching has gone, well, most of my teaching has gone online, which means in order to function in academia these days, you need a computer, a reliable internet connection, and to know how to combine all those three. Oh, yeah, you need a stable place to live, or at least a stable place to work. I myself, for most of the pandemic, I only had two of those things. My computer died. Now I, now I have a new computer. It works fine. I had it. My computer died on a Monday. I had a new computer by Friday. I, I was lucky and fortunate enough to fix that. But then what happens to my black students who 
I'm having tutoring sessions with or Zoom meetings for teaching via Zoom. And they don't have a computer. They have to use their cell phones if they have smartphones and unlimited data plans. We leave people behind very bluntly when we choose to. Access to technology, access to security, they are all... I believe it was the Declaration of Independence that said we have... Uh, we are entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What the hell does that look like if you don't... If the system was never guaranteed to give you access to any of that? Forgive me for talking on the scale that I'm talking on where we're talking about the educational structure, the world structure, bringing that down to myself, Skylar, our few black friends that we associate with. What does it look like when we are in these predominantly white spaces? Because unfortunately, I decided not to go to an HBCU. Biggest mistake of my life. If you are black and in earshot of my voice, go to a black college. Be around your own people. Because when you're surrounded by white people, you are playing the world, you are playing the game by their standards. And sometimes there are no standards that will ever, ever benefit you. That's, that is good advice. I think if you, if you want to be immersed in your culture or you're exploring a culture that you should go to an HBCU, um, I would say that. But I, I would also say that at the same time, if that's not an influencing factor in your decision for school, if there's a specific school that you want to go to and you get into that school, go to that school. And it might be that you are surrounded by uh, people of different cultures. Um, you might be lucky, like when we went to Long Beach State, and yes. you might be in a place where it's pretty multicultural and ethically diverse and that's honestly in my opinion one of the best experiences that you can have because you're exposed to so many different things um, but then also going to a school in Kansas basically where you are surrounded by <laughs> one particular ethnicity uh, one particular culture the monoculture. The monoculture. It's the monoculture. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you're the odd person out. You're going to feel isolated. You're going to feel uh, estranged and you're not going to fit. You're not going to fit in. But at the same time, if you're choosing to go there and you're choosing to face that down, I mean, more power to you. I mean, if you're making that choice consciously to go to this place where you know that you're going to be to some respects, ostracized, you're going to be objectified, you're going to be looked at differently, you're going to be communicated with differently. Um, know, go in with your eyes wide open. Know that you are going into an environment where that environment could potentially be hostile or not even potentially will be hostile. You will <laughs> run into situations where you will have to deal with hostile entities and you will have to navigate some pretty thorny and complex situations where they're going to call into question the validity of your existence, the cultural background. They're going to lay stereotypes on you. They're going to see you as one particular way. And you're going to have to, if you decide to, you're going to have to prove yourself to these people that you're different. And that's all from this place of, or this desire to feel accepted by the society that you don't fit in. So if you're going to go to this place, you need to know and have the will to be able to survive that. Like you need to be cognizant of the fact that you are actively making a choice to enter a place that can be very openly hostile towards you. That's like if I were to drive down to Mississippi and go to a predominantly white racist neighborhood as an example, because that is probably one of the most racist places in America is the state of Mississippi. I thought you were going to talk about Mississippi State or Ole Miss. <laughs> you had me already. <laughs> but that would be like if I was going down there and I was going to go to that area and I was going to go to school over there, I would do my research and know beforehand what I'm getting into. Um, don't ever 
just jump into something with your eyes closed and then you get the you get there and you're surprised and you're like why are they treating me like this i don't understand no you you need you need to know you need to be aware because no matter where you go um you're going to have to deal with that and even if you go to an hbcu as a black person you're still going to have to deal with the the microaggressions and the tensions of colorism you're still going to have to deal with that very facet of of our community and our culture and uh, whoa can you give me a little bit about colorism that's an inter- that's an interesting topic i i'm a little bit dense on that if you will so i mean yeah jumping into into, into colorism essentially the the very fact of being different shades of a color and still being part of an ethnic group uh causes you to be perceived differently so if you're a lighter skinned black person you are perceived to have more of an advantage over a darker skinned black person or your experiences are going to be different than a darker skinned black person and i mean as someone who is of a lighter pigmentation lighter than a brown paper bag (laughs) than my buddy here and who has siblings that are even lighter than me we all have different blessed experiences in dealing with uh, different ethnic and social groups we are perceived differently by society and especially when we end up navigating different social circles we are more readily accepted into different social circles than people who are of a darker pigmentation I know this to be true Um, an example I can give you is my little sister is probably the most light skinned out of all of us she graduated from high school with honors and everything and she even had to give her like a little speech and we were at her graduation and we were uh, we were at this hotel I think we were in this conference room and this lady approaches her and walks up to her and she goes you're just you're so articulate you're so well spoken and she's like I, what, what are you I'm human that is the most <laughs> that is probably the the most in my opinion one of the most racist questions that a person can ask it doesn't matter like whether or not you identify it or identify it as a, an ethnicity of asian black uh hispanic descent when someone asks you what you are wanting to know specifically how they can classify you because once they can put you in that box then they know how to treat you stereotypically because the box that they already had for you, you didn't fit in there properly. <laughs> right. And so because my little sister was so light skinned and her hair is, is completely different. She doesn't have uh, the stereotypical black style hair. Uh, she has these really like long, almost golden curls that go down to her, her, her waist. Um, this lady proceeded to follow her around the entire time that we were there and it was it was getting creepy basically asking her all these kind of penetrating questions like what are you like where did you come from like who are your parents all these different things and she because she was just so enamored with my sister surprised yeah and then you meant surprised and then when we (laughs) and then when we showed up around my sister and she could see that oh oh you're you're black you know it, it it it's very reminiscent of stories of of old, you know, maybe maybe early, I want to say 19, 1920s, 1930s, where you had in the black community, they called them high yellow, where you had uh-huh. high yellow individuals, right? People that could pass. Essentially, it was passing people that could pass. And there were certain uh, very powerful uh uh, black leaders in our community like uh w uh d w du bois yes um who i mean du bois yeah my bad yeah who passed for white he could pass for white and there were instances especially in hospitals where uh, a a young man who was black had been in an, an accident um but because he passed he was taken to a white hospital and they were treating him and then when his family showed up and they realized that he was black they booted him from that hospital and said, take his ass down the street or uh-huh. a couple of blocks down the street to the black hospital. And he died as a result. So there's this whole thing. There's this whole phenomenon that, that, that carried from that, that 
time period all the way until today where passing is still a thing where when people can't put you in a box racially um you're kind of like this chameleon you're kind of fluid and fitting into like different aspects of culture you kind of like slide underneath the surface but then when you know the culture that you identify with you know that you're black you know that you come from a black family yeah your pigmentation is a little different but you come from a black family you know you're african-american and you try to hang out in your community and they don't accept you because they look at you as if you did something wrong by passing by being able to move from one community to the next you're ostracized again for the color of your skin and, you know, I've been called every name under under the sun. I've even been called white trash, if you can believe it. Holy fuck. Yeah. And and this is when I was a when I was a kid, I was in a playground and there's this other kid who was uh, I was not as cooked by the sun. And <laughs> so I was a little bit. You didn't skin. you didn't have the tan that, yeah, that white I people know. go out of their way to get yet. <laughs> don't get all the shit from it that we get from uh being naturally doused in mud yeah and so this other kid I, I don't remember the i just remember what he said he was just calling me names and he called me white trash and i remember not being affected by it because i was like what but at the same time you know that's a memory and an experience that stuck with me because i was like so even in my own community because I'm of a lighter pigmentation, because I don't speak in the same tones or 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 or, or I speak articulate artic articulately or um, I allow my education to do the talking for me, um, I'm not widely accepted in my own community. Now in my family it's a different story because I've never had to deal with that in my family. But outside of that, when I interact with other people it's like people have a chip on their shoulder towards me because they feel like I've had some advantages. And to be honest with you, if I'm looking at that and dealing with my own experiences, I, I believe I have. I believe I have had advantages. And I acknowledge the fact that I've had advantages because people can't so readily, unless I tell a person that I'm black, they don't so readily just drop me into that spectrum. So... It's, it's it's this weird it's this weird experience and I'm sure you can speak to it from your own experiences in terms of colorism and what you've dealt with and not even not even so much as colorism for you but your personality gets you ostracized and your experiences causes you to be ostracized by your own community it works both ways in this case because I mean I don't have quite the by the way that is a beautiful hue your skin's a beautiful hue I I love it's having a white trash friend. It's, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, colorism does have an impact. I benefit in some degrees because while I am darker than you, I'm not as dark as others. And the whiteness scale, can we coin the whiteness scale? That I think that would be hilarious if we did so. I mean, I'm light enough where I'm not immediately seen as a hoodlum. And I'm well-spoken articulate enough where, and of course, the bleach hair. By the way, I heard your complaints about my hair. I kind of heard them. It won't be this way in two weeks. Deal with it. The thing of, uh, you did mention passing, right? Mm-hmm. I did. Yeah, passing, trying to seem less harmless. And when we talk about being less harmless, that's less harmless, well-educated, all that stuff that makes white people comfortable because when white people are not comfortable they call the cops on you but when does it when does it uh not benefit me well i'm gonna go i'm gonna take you back to the marcus garvey doctrine what he fought against was that one little drop of black blood makes you black and i definitely feel whenever i do something wrong and i'm not claiming i'm a saint here i i do fuck up occasionally they don't look at the merits of what I did. They look at the merits of I'm black and I had the audacity to do it while I was in this space. And to me, that's comp that compounds whatever danger I was in because I violated their norms of being a safe black person, someone who could pass as a respectable member of society. 
and that blows. I, when I had when I came to blows with my department, ooh, this may, yeah, this will get me fucked up here. Well, I don't maybe really know my job. About it. Maybe no, maybe it's don't. <laughs> no, it's something to be, it's something to be put in perspective. Okay. When I first got in here, when I first came to KU, there were three black people in our department: two black women and little old me. Uh, one one is biracial who passes quite well like you do then there's me i was the middle ground and then there was the third uh the second black woman who uh was darker skin there were dramatic differences in how each of us were treated i was treated similarly to the biracial uh classmate that we have because i didn't really want to start any trouble and i was at I don't, I'm not going to say I was at the apex of being whitewashed, but my God, I shucked and jived very hard for everyone so they would not see me as a threat. However, that scale, it shifts when, depending on circumstances, when one person graduates and moves to another department, I by default become the stigmatized black person, Ewing Goffman, 1963. I knew that would come in handy somehow. Also, yeah, Ewan Goffman's book on Sigma, read it. It's it's a little bit out of date, but whew, it did tell the future. So then when I become the default bad black person in the department, or at least black in tone, yeah, I noticed that most of most of my sins became accented. <laughs> I think that'll be the most appropriate way of saying it. And what does it mean when you automatically become worthy of being smeared? It means that everything you are doing, uh, the fundamental attribution theory, look at, oh my God, I have theory coming out of the wazoo. Yet none of this will help me on my comps because that's not my field. Your problems are being attributed to you because you are black or you are in this case the other my department has a bad history of that and that's just that's only just including my stuff i've heard there are other situations where people have been uh, hung out to dry it's just it's not exclusive to my department i've heard that arizona state i've heard it at university of illinois urbana champaign i uh, umass it it's everywhere where you can have people who are the other but the catch-22 about this is you, uh, not you, you're, you're fine, Skylar. Universities and workplaces need the other. Otherwise, they are going to look as very discriminatory spaces. How many committees did you sit on where you function as the lone representative of your people? Therefore, you were the speaker of all the black kind. I mean, isn't that every interpersonal relationship where you're the only black person there? Every fucking interracial interpersonal relationship where you're the only black person there. Yeah. It's a frustrating but, experience to to say the least when you feel that you have to speak and educate everyone on the black experience. But at the same time, you have a right to be frustrated. You have a right to not want to do it. But if a person is asking you to be educated, they're not asking you to speak, but if they're asking you, what can I do? What can I learn? You have a duty to, to help them get themselves informed. That's my perspective on it, but I believe that it's important. If, if they're asking you to learn and they don't know how to seek this stuff out themselves, it's be, that's the reason why they're asking you. I'm going to quibble with you, and I thought we were going to debate on something else, but this one I'm far more comfortable with. Yeah. <laughs> we live in the age of the internet. When someone tells you they are being mistreated, don't question them. Listen to them. Well, that I, I think that's not that's not where where my focus is. You should do. I totally agree with that. What I'm saying is is when a person says, to give you an example, the whole everything that happened with George Floyd, I had more than a couple people uh, reach out to me and ask me what can I do? What do I do? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And they're like, I was going to look it up, but I figured I'd ask since we're, we're having a conversation. And in that instance, I can choose to say, I can 
choose to honestly be a dick about it and say, well, you should go look it up. Or I can point them to resources and try to educate them a little bit, which is what I was doing in the first place already through my social media, by sharing stuff, by speaking out about it. So if they contact me directly wanting to know more, I don't think that anybody should take offense to that. What I do have a problem with is when you're in a in a group dynamic and someone says something that's so flagrantly misinterpretive or stereotypical of your di- of your ethnic background and you feel that you have to speak on it and then when you speak on it and when they start asking you questions you feel like you're speaking for the entire black race <clears throat> and that's where that's where my frustration comes in that's where I go I think you should do more homework and you should look it up but you inherently you inherently or inherently or intrinsically know that they're not going to do the homework. They're not going to look it up. So you have to educate them. No, that's, no, I don't have to educate them because that's unpaid labor. I agree you with sit you. In these, you sit in these fucking classrooms and you're removed, you're removed from the classroom and you said your experience at Chapman was not like mine. So yeah. also, fuck you one that. I hate your experience. <laughs> but when you, when you sit in these classrooms... And oh, there's the black topic that's being thrown up and in. You have you're surrounded by you know five or six Pollyannas. Well, it's impossible for things to be like that because I've never seen it. It's never happened to me. Well, fuck, it's not for you. It happened to me. It's happening to me right now. Right. You're asking. You're asking me to teach you about these events when. I mean, didn't we? Did we not joke about how? <laughs> How uh, the police protests and all the, like, oh, maybe they deserved it. We have video in 1080p and you are still telling me these people deserved it. I am here as the, like right now we have, I think we have four black people in the department. I, of course, I am the most radioactive because I posted that letter that, you know, that letter. That's all I'll say about it. Right. But then... Like, I think about the responses I had to that. Some people were, I don't know what's more troubling, the people who do not respond or the people who say, I didn't know this was going on. These things are, well, okay, I can't well, give them too much problems. Yeah, with, you can't, you can't give the people that say that they don't know it's going on too much problems because unless a person is trained to look for it, they're not going to see it. Unless you're actively training yourself to see these things, you won't see it. You won't know it. And that's on that person. Just like I acknowledge and have been coming to terms with my own experiences with colorism and, and, and understanding my own advantages and the things that I've had and and the opportunities that have been given to me. Um, you also have to give that same uh, birth to to those people who say, I did not know this was going on. Now, granted, some people are on some some BS with that statement, saying I didn't know this was going on. Like you literally saw that person call that person a racial slur, and you're saying you didn't know this was going on. That, you were the person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were the person. But getting a person to acknowledge their own prejudices and racism is a very difficult thing, unless they're choosing to actually be self-aware. Unless they're choosing to actually acknowledge and examine their own behaviors, it is very difficult to get a person to acknowledge whether or not they're being racist. Most people, when you say that, hey, what you said was racist or what you said was prejudiced, will immediately go, I'm not racist. I'm not prejudiced. They'll just immediately defend it because they know that if they get qualified in that box, that that could ruin them. And they're not willing to understand that, yeah, you know what? There are there are occasions and there are things that I say and things that I do and ways that I act that are inherently racist and it is problematic and I need to work through it. But people are so afraid like that. People are so afraid of being offensive that they are actually offending far more than they would. If they just took the criticism that, all right, maybe this was not okay. Yeah. If they actually ingested the criticism instead of rejecting it, if they actually internalized it and thought about it and pondered it, and then maybe realized that what they were saying was offensive and took the time to understand why it was offensive you know things could potentially be in a better place but people are too lazy to do that and they're too afraid to do that because nobody wants to admit that they're wrong especially in this day and age of the internet and fake news 
and Donald Trump. I said it. And here's and here's <laughs> something where I'm going to have to unfortunately play devil's advocate on because it makes me look bad on this. But you're you were definitely right when you say we can't blame people for saying I didn't know this was happening. Up until recently, I have been a damn good liar about when someone asked me, how am I doing? What's going on? You and I, you know everything that's happened to me here. We're candid. But also, you are not, one, you're black. And two, one, you're black. Two, you're a friend. And three, you understand the precarity that goes into being in these situations where, you know, being black, being a minority, being ostracized. Well, having gone to the ostracization yet, but I'm getting there soon. Being in this situation where you point out that someone has done something bad to you, are they going to investigate it? Are they going to blame me for it? Are they going to take me seriously? Or are we going to live in a world where it's impossible for that to happen because this is a welcoming and tolerant place? And there's no way that that could have happened to you by this person because this person is normally a good person. Nobody wants to hear that, you know, they have shitty motivations or shitty actions. And the people that are around them, the people who you hang around, they have your similarities. That's the simple concept of homophily. We hang around people who are like us. Uh, just the not a racial, not racially related, but uh, Tom Brenneman during the during a red scheme a couple days ago, like I said, that uh, Reds versus the uh, Reds versus Kansas City. Uh, that is an F word city, and no. The F word doesn't stand for fuck because I say that regularly. It's the other F word that we should never use. Mm -hmm. How comfortable are you saying these things in these spaces when we all know what you cannot say that, but you said it. I mean, you, you kind of owned up to it only because everybody caught you on a hot mic. And that's just Tom Brenneman. I mean, fuck him as an NFL announcer. He sucks. God damn. I hate listening to him. He's worse. He's worse than Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, and yeah, I really, I really don't like listening to those two. Well, let me, let me, let me also let me follow that up. There was a prominent YouTuber who, uh, uh, was uh, PewDiePie. When ah, he, PewDiePie. <laughs> yeah, he was playing. He was playing a game, and I think the guy killed him or whatever. And he called him the N word, and then he got in a whole bunch of hot water, and people were like, "Oh, give him a chance, give him a chance," and 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 then he came out and and made some like the lame ass apology video where he was like, I was thinking of the worst thing that I could call a person. And I'm like, so you think the worst thing, the <laughs> worst, the worst thing is to basically be called the racial slur for a black person. Is that not Sky inherently racist? Skylar, can I say it? No, <laughs> no, please, please let me say it. A couple of people like that. I said the last time and it will not be in a pejorative sense. <laughs> okay. <laughs> nah, nigga, that is not how it works. <laughs> I thought of the worst thing I could say to someone, and that was it. It's just like any other time. Uh, like he, right now, we have the we have the plethora of Karens out there. You know, calling me a Karen or calling me a racist is like calling me the N word. No, then go sorry. ahead and fucking say the N word. Damn it, <laughs> go for it. If it's <laughs> if these two things are equal and you're still not saying that other word, sorry that I stole this bit from someone else. That fucking word is not as bad as the N word. It's not. It doesn't have the same connotation. It doesn't link back to 400 years of slavery. It doesn't. It is literally a descriptor. Um, it's semantics when you think about it. <laughs> it's oh, no, no, no. I, I'm not discriminating against you. I'm just calling you a color, a very botched pronunciation of a color. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. Um, and no hard R's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but... The, the yeah that whole thing the reason why i brought that up is because in saying what he said in that apology video he literally admitted his own racism now has he taken the time since then to work through that racism no he's made no. anti-semitic <laughs> jokes he's he said other terrible things so no he hasn't worked through any of that he did what i'm pretty sure his pr person told him to do just come out make a lame-ass apology and people will forgive you for it your base is already on your side you'll lose a couple of subs it'll be fine but that's the whole thing that a lot of people don't seem to understand is, 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 is one, the ease with which you use certain terms and certain language gives everybody a deeper look into who you are. And another example is Mel Gibson. Now, I love Lethal Weapon. 
and I have issues with <laughs> I have issues with Mel Gibson <laughs> and I have a lot of cognitive dissonance when it comes to Mel Gibson. But I do remember the phone calls where he was saying the N word and it just I came freely he, to him. Was and, it that I hope you got raped by an N word to his daughter or something? Yeah, it was it was really what terrible. It was really disgusting. And so but the ease with which that word comes into your mouth, the fact that you think of that word denotes your own inherent racism. And a lot of people don't seem to want to work through that. They don't want to see that seem to ask themselves the questions. Why did I, why did I revert to that word? Why did I jump to that term, that terminology in this instance, when I was so angry, why am I so angry at black people that I have to use that term? They get Why mad do I enough to use so much. They get mad enough to use that word to inflict on people who are not black. Exactly. Like, it's <laughs> just because and it's because they know it's a bad word. They know it they know it's terrible. They know what it means. They understand what it means. But what they don't seem to understand and that's when they go, "I'm not racist." When they said the term, "You are racist. You are. You need to work through that because otherwise you would not have done that. You would not have if said you, that." If you drop the N-word or the F-word, even in jest, no offense. No, 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 no offense. I mean, actually, no. Not. I you mean, can't say no offense. You, you can't Get say the fuck no. Out of here. Yeah, you can't say no offense or like, oh, I didn't mean anything by it. Yes, you did. That's why you used it. You actively used it because of the connotations of it. You actively put that word into your vocabulary rotation because you want it to offend. You want it to hurt. And you chose I, a word that hurts an entire class of people. I am an angry individual. You know that I am quite gifted in verbally assaulting someone. <laughs> There's so many other words you can use. So why resort to those particular words? Why resort to a racial slur at all? Why resort because to we, a slur at all? Because you, we all know that blacks are less than people. That's why. That is the consideration, right? That is the truth. And I mean, to, 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 to segue off of that, you know, it's, is as a black individual, I feel like we have to ask ourselves questions for everything that we go do, right? To go back to your yes. point about going to school and, and, and encouraging people to go to HBCUs, that's, that's because it's a safe place. So when a black yes. person travels, they have to ask themselves the question of where they're traveling. Are, are black people accepted here? Am I going to be safe here? Do they persecute black people? You know, I'm never going to go to Russia. You know, <laughs> there are certain countries oh. I'm never going to go visit because I know that the color of my skin will get me into trouble. Yeah. When we think about these words that they talk, that they use against us, I mean, what is the N word or the F word? And I mean, that affects me in Kansas of all places. And that's just in a contiguous United States. Any places where you think that you wouldn't want to go? Yeah, I mean, there there have been places, there are certain, I think, certain countries that I would just never go to. Like I said, uh, Russia being one of them, and, <laughs> and, 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 and other countries, and I want to say there are certain European countries, and I've even had concerns about going to, uh, to France, to be honest with you, just because of the nature of how I've heard and seen in, in my studies in cinema, there's a movie called uh, La M or The Hate, which deals with that, which deals with being black in France, which deals with being uh, uh, Middle Eastern in France. Even though they colonized the shit out of Algeria and Morocco and probably the Battle of Algiers. Yeah. Yeah. There's great cinema that talks about it. And and the fact that that, that acceptance over there is not <laughs> there's tolerance, tolerance. You're tolerated, but you're not accepted. Uh, you want to go? You want to go with microaggressions? Just imagine being a Muslim anywhere. People right. see people see tan skin in the headscarf and or the burqa. Oh my God, they're gonna blow something up. Fuck, these people are our neighbors. Probably smarter than we are too, because they actually give a shit about education. They're just and people. they're just people, just like everybody else. They're human beings. That's it. We're all human beings. We're all in this fucking pot together, right? And yes. and I do have a story for you. Um, before before we move on to the next topic but i was in italy i was at a film festival in italy, italy for a week i was walking around with some some classmates we were in a shopping district it was in bologna italy and I was approached by a homeless man he was black he walked up okay. to me he had an african accent and he said 
is there anything you can do to help me? And he was like, you're black like me. You know what it's like. And I sat there and I looked at him and, and I was just like, God damn, you got to hit me like that. <laughs> and, 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 but the whole thing was, as he was saying that, I was shaking my head like, yeah, I know exactly how it is. So I, 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 I stepped away from him. I said, hang on. And, you know, I wasn't carrying my money in a wallet or anything because, you know, I had read up on everything. and was like, you know, be careful with pickpockets because it's a big thing, and especially right. in tourist areas. So I had my money in like, in like my belt loop. So I pulled my money out. I pulled like, a, I think like 20 euros out and I gave it to him. And um, he was like, thank you so much. Thank you so much, brother. I was like, you know, like take care of yourself. Like I understand. But it was like, even in that instance in Italy where I'm like, yeah, I could go to Italy, I could hang out in Italy. They're, they're a little bit more accepting over there. Even there, you know, to have a person of, you know, within my same kind of ethnic racial background approach me and say, you know how it is, you know what it's like. Damn, we oh. can't go anywhere and be. <laughs> you, think Italy's, you think Italy is safe? There's a soccer player, uh, sorry, a football player I want you to go look up. Mario Balotelli, one of the best strikers in Italia Serie uh, Serie A history. Yeah, they threw banana peels at him while he was playing, while he was on the pitch. So, I mean, that was what I had thought. That was what I had thought when I went there. I was in, I was in a very naive mindset. But then, you know, all my, all all of my training, and I say training because my parents did train me and have conversations with me. But all of my training started to kick in. Once I was there and as I was looking and assessing different situations, because I know that even though I, I kind of pass and I kind of look like one thing, like you always have to be cognizant and aware of your surroundings and what's going on, especially being a black individual. That's not to say that we're the only class and this is diverging from our conversation a little bit, but women have it so much worse than we do. They do. Oh, oh that's that's a great idea you had for someone so pretty. <laughs> but yeah yeah and and just yeah not even to i would like to have a special guest or a guest on to talk about that because that's an experience that i i have i can't not neither of us can speak to it none of us yeah. can speak to it but look for that episode in the future um <laughs> um yeah so it's just like when you have to ask yourself those questions in in, in with traveling and then with job searches and then with schools, am I going to be accepted here? Am I going to fit in here? This is predominantly white school. You have to look at those statistics and those demographics. That that becomes very important as a person of color. Whether, whether Foresh you're... Foreshadowing to our episode on uh, on dating letter, later, you yeah. better find somebody who isn't looking to swirl just because yeah. it pisses their dad off. <laughs> yeah, because it also it comes into play in relationships, too, where... You have to ask as the as the person of color, as the black person, you have to ask yourself the question before you even approach a person, before you even say hi, before you even try to engage with them. You're trying to fill out whether or not it's OK for you to be talking to this person romantically, because you have to ask yourself the question, are they going to date a black person? Is their family going to accept a black person? And most of the times I just defeat myself from the out the gate and say, no, no, I don't see it. Because life has taught me to expect that. And when we get into that episode, I'll get into the nuances and the things that have <laughs> have colored my perceptions and made me very jaded in that arena. But it's very much the case that we're always having to ask ourselves those questions. We can never just walk into a room and be into that room and, and feel like we're accepted. We always have to go in the room and, and it's almost like the Terminator, like looking and sizing people up and creating like data logs in there. Like, is this person going to be okay with talking to a black person? I don't know. I don't know. This person's looking at me weird. Is this person okay with talking to a black person? Oh, there's another black person there. Green, go for that black person. Go talk to that black person. Make eye contact. Nod. Okay, yeah, bro. You know what's going on. Yeah, sis, you I, know what's going on. We good. We good. Right? Man, I never I never did that, that last... Uh... <laughs> last where you did i never did that shit but then i moved to kansas black people where where, where are you you're like it's safe space safe space get to safe space <laughs> like you have you been discriminated against good i have stories yeah it's like you have a place where you can you can commiserate and it sucks i'm not gonna say it's a great feeling it sucks that you feel like you have to do that 
in every interaction, in every place that you go to, and even amongst your own community. So you feel like you have to do that sometimes. You know, when, when me and my siblings go to a place and if it's a function where there's a bunch of people of our same racial background, we're still hanging out together because we're like, we don't know if they're going to accept us. We have no idea. So we got to wait for them to reach out and, and, and see what's going on. <laughs> I am back in the, in, I am back in the physical classroom tomorrow. I've got to pick a suit, shirt and tie, and I got to find out, figure out pretty quickly. All right. Now, which one of you libertarians are in here? Because guess what? they're all libertarians for some odd reason i attract them and then then i get a fried chicken and watermelon lecture about hey guess what who's racist yeah most of you are <laughs> like yeah. uh i have to i always reach out to my few uh particularly in my black students in every class hey i see you if anyone does anything to you give me a call i will kill them that's just those are the facts of life i didn't uh, I had a black professor here look out for me, and she still looks out for me, and I I couldn't imagine how quickly I would have transferred if it wasn't for her friendship. Because everybody else, they claim to be allies, and yet I find my head on a chopping block more times off, more times than not, so... But we're a welcoming and tolerant place. You should feel safe here. No, I, I don't... Fuck! No! I feel safe in my... I feel safer in my apartment that I leave unlocked 24-7 than I do in a classroom where I'm surrounded by a bunch of people who they're all clamoring to call me a nigger if I do not grade their assignments correctly to their standards. Right. And that's that's the dangerous reality is you always know that you're one step away from being called that term. That you're one step away from just having someone completely and utterly destroy your entire world with a word. And that's where the feeling of always feeling less than comes into play. That's why we always feel like three-fifths of a person because everything that's built in, whether it's built into society or it's built into interpersonal communications or it's built into how we travel, who we talk to, who we date, what our family struggles are, it's always built and it always comes down to that one word that basically makes you feel like less than a human being. We are always, always compromised. Thanks for jumping in with us at the cookout today. <laughs> you know, sorry that hopefully after listening to this, if you felt like you were three-fifths of a person, we hope that we added the extra two-fifths to recognize you and the struggle that you are independently going you're not alone we're here with you we've been through it we understand the only way out is through and if we have to go through by any means necessary catch you next time folks (laughs)